Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Support this time, which can be chaotic and not always easy. You know, even though the culture reflects back this happy, fun time filled with a lot of consumption and rushing around. I went, to, I have to admit, I went to a department store yesterday and just stood there and stood on a long line just to feel that tension and everybody <laughs> rushing. I had to get some, you know. I had no reason to be there. But. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just want to feel part of things. Anyway. So, um... And then I, I want to add the other piece to gratitude is um, it helps us with equanimity and calm and ease for our practice when things can be difficult. And for some of you, you know, depending upon where the political awareness is and what you're, it can be hard right now, even on that level. So, so many levels, holidays can be a challenge. So, um, It's nice to have that reflection. And when things get really intense, I do go to poetry, like a lot of you. And I love to read some of the poems that bring me to this place of gratitude. And and you've heard them before. Uh, This is The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. Beautiful poem that I love. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought or grief. I come into the presence of still water. And I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light for a time. I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So how do we get out of some of the tension and stress of life, the fears, the worry that we have? some of it quite justifiable, and come into the peace of wild things, come into the presence of still water, and rest in the grace of the world. And one way to do that is through gratitude for this life, for this world, for this earth, for everything that we have to be here, all the opportunities we have for our ancestors, for the people that came before us. And in Buddhism, we call that interdependence, the teaching on emptiness and interdependence, that none of us would exist solely, entirely on our own. This sense of self and I is completely interdependent. And so even getting here, you know, we wouldn't even be here if there weren't roads paved. and. Um, water given to us 
and clean air and the right temperature of air um, and uh, traffic lights. You know, all the laborers who, who made this city. And for us, we have the good fortune to study, practice, to meditate together because we have this leisure time. You know, we're not laboring all the time. We have some abundance of material to be able to sit, to have the privilege to study and practice together. And many people all over the world don't. And it is because of the generosity of others that came before us that make it possible for us. And we, in turn, make it possible for others, too. I know a lot of you give a lot of service through your profession and just through your generosity in many, many ways. So this is a core teaching of Buddhism, this interdependence. For me to be here, many, many conditions had to be in place for me to have this good fortune to practice, to live, you know, to thrive, just to get the food on the table. And I've read this quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, but I, it's, a, it's readable to read many times. I like to walk alone on country paths, rice plants and wild grasses on both sides, putting each foot down on the earth in mindfulness, knowing that I walk on the wondrous earth. In such moments, existence is miraculous and a mysterious reality. People usually consider walking on water or in thin air a miracle. But I think the real miracle is not to walk either on water or in thin air, but to walk on earth. Every day we are engaged in a miracle, which we don't even recognize. A blue sky, white clouds, green leaves, the black curious eyes of a child, our own two eyes, all is a miracle. So there's this wonderful, wonderful mystery to life and miraculousness that um, sometimes we're not in touch with and we can't access that gratitude or that miraculous nature. I like to think of, um, of my grandfather when I think about gratitude, and I think I've shared about him before. You know, uh, Jess came from um, a lot of um, war and hatred and poverty and starvation and atrocities, witnessed some real rough things in his childhood, and then um, came here and was a laborer, never made a lot of money, and lived in a very modest apartment. and. Um, my memories of him and of a sense of presence and mindfulness, gratitude, are watching him make tea, you know, in the, with the tea kettle and the glass cup in it. Came from Russia, so it's kind of a Russian tea. And his just presence, his enjoyment of making tea. And then he put the sugar cube in the tea and give one to me, <laughs> but with so much love and presence. Um, he'd sit quietly in the kitchen, this very modest kitchen, this 
steam radiator hissing. <laughs> and uh, he'd read a Russian newspaper, a Hebrew newspaper, and a English newspaper. It was a lot of joy for him that he had that. And uh, just the small things were so much pleasure and privilege for him. And uh, one of the things he used to do, and I might have told this story before, um, for Passover, there's something called a Seder. You get together and eat, and there's food. And in those days, the the elder man stands up, and he chants in Hebrew, um, for a long time, and you're very hungry. <laughs> and, um, they didn't feel in those days they had to explain what they were talking about. Either you got it or you didn't, but if you were a child, you sat quietly and you just listened. Um, we never knew what he was talking about, really. <laughs> but in the middle of, and he'd do it, because, you know, that was what you did. And so in the middle of this talk, he would start laughing. And then he'd start crying with laughter, and he would really laugh. And and my parents would look at him like aghast, like you're breaking the tradition. You know, like everybody would sort of look at him like, what is he doing? And we would, as kids, we would giggle with him and laugh. And I finally asked him one day, what are you doing? You know, how come you're laughing? And he said, the words, eh, so-so, but your faces, <laughs> <laughs> the food on the table, yeah. That we have a table and we're safe and we're loved, that's what the Seder is. I'm just so happy to have this moment with my grandchildren, you know, grandchildren. And yeah, you know, um, the elders know this, you know, as we get older, right? We savor, we learn to be grateful. And this can help us in the practice too and in our lives. Sometimes we're not always connecting with the gratitude and the miraculous nature and the mystery because our brains are caught in the default network. You know, it's not us, it's our brains. Don't take it so personally. You're very interdependent. All those wires and networks in your brain create a certain way of being. And, um, when we're not in a task very focused, where you really have to focus and use your mind and be careful. Um, maybe you know, you're know you slicing an apple or you're doing a project at work or writing a paper. The mind's still busy. It doesn't rest. There isn't a switch to tell your mind, stop and rest. Did you notice? And that's a big problem in our culture, um, I feel, because there isn't the switch to turn it off. So. We distract endlessly, just not think. And some of us take a few things to help us, right? We won't talk about what those are, right? We'll take a few medicinal things or alcohol, but, but there's no switch. And so um, the mind stays busy telling a story about you, a narrative. That's what the mind does. It goes into the past and creates memories about you and the future, your future you. And it will also problem solve. And it could be critical, depressing and negative, because we have that negativity bias for survival. So if we don't have the mindfulness <coughs> or awareness 
or we don't have that still water to reflect on, we can get snagged and caught in the default network, and it's hard to get out. If you're prone to depression, anxiety, worry, or your family history is like that, you can get caught fast and easy. I can get, I, I, it's, I, there's a neural network that's a major highway in my brain. <laughs> you know? It seems like I'm always turning onto that freeway. <laughs> you know? It's just my mind will, you know, and that's probably why I love mindfulness and meditation, you know, just to get off that freeway. Where is the exit ramp? So, um, so, not always easy to come back to that place. And the poem that I've been going to, that I've read to you for a few weeks here, is, um, I have not written out. So let's see if I can find it. The Bright Field. I have seen the sun break through to eliminate, illuminate a small field for a while and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had treasure in it. I realize now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside like Moses to the miracle of the lit bush, to the brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you. So what attracts me back to this poem over and over again is I feel like in our lives there's that moment like Moses of the lit bush, you know, this little miraculous spark <clears throat> or a big one. And with this busyness and this ruminating mind and the planning and thinking we miss those moments we don't land on them with awareness. These incredible, sweet, aha moments of insight or compassion or love or just presencing with another human being. The being there of it. And you know when you're there. You know when you're there. I was saying, I've been saying goodbye to some of my patients um, this week moving along to another um, position. And um, it's been tearful, mm. you know. It's been sad and tearful to say goodbye. And um, one of the teens that I was saying goodbye to, um, and I, I had given her a journal, you know, and I, we, we stopped. I said, you know, let's just stop right now and... and look at the sweetness of how much we each have meant to each other, mm. you to me and me to you, and how precious that is to have it. Not so much that we're, we're changing or we're losing it, but that we have it. And this is what we can do for each other. So one, one last poem. <laughs> on gratitude. With that moon language, it's the expression of gratitude that we can give and offer. 
everyone you see, say to them, love, you say to them, love me. Of course you don't do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. <laughs> Still though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always seeing with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? Then we can express that. We can share that and connect in. There's someone, um, and you may have heard of him, Brother David Steindelrest. Have you heard of him? He's a uh, Benedictine monk, and he's about 90 years old, maybe a little more now. And um, he did a TED Talk, uh, which you can access on YouTube, and it got 6 million views. <coughs> wow. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about his story and some of his teachings. Um, so he was born in 1926 in Vienna, and his teen years were during the Nazi occupation. And the city was um, going through much hardship. Uh, <coughs> the city was pretty much in shambles, food shortages, and of course the boys were drafted into the army. And this was at the point where um, the Nazis were beginning to lose. So if you got to the front lines, you kind of knew you weren't <coughs> going to make it. And um, luck was on his side, and he never got drafted into the, placed into the front lines. And he said that he spent a lot of time in Hitler's army in the barracks um, in prayer, uninterrupted prayer. And he also learned to question authority, which seems pretty scary to me. Um, so before he got to the front lines, he managed to escape. And his mother was able to take him and a few soldiers and put them in hiding for three months until the war ended. And then when the war ended, he was able to work with all the refugees coming through Europe as a result of the war. And um, he became a Benedictine monk and got a PhD in um, different religious studies and started this interfaith organization. And he's taught a lot on gratitude. So I want to give you some of his words. It's definitely one of those YouTube um, pieces to watch, to watch him do it. And... Um, so these are some of his words, and I, I recommend listening to his um, TED Talk. So he asks, is there a connection between happiness and gratefulness? That's his question, and that was his research question. And his reflection is, he notices that there are people that have everything it takes to be happy, and they're not happy. And I've had days like that, so have you, where, like, I have everything in the day to be happy, but I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. You've had those days? It's so frustrating, right? <laughs> um, and then he said, there are people with a lot of misfortune, and they don't have a lot, they don't have all the conditions for happiness, 
but they're deeply happy. Mm. So his synopsis here is that it's gratefulness that makes us happy and not happiness that makes us grateful, you know. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to ignore all the injustice in the world, the violence and poverty and war and all the things we're, we have to see. Um, but that if we cultivate this grateful heart, this sense of gratitude, we get a greater sense of well-being, and the research supports that. I won't bore you with the research at this moment. So um, what do we mean by gratefulness? And he defines gratefulness as um, a real gift that you did not earn, it was freely given, and of value to us, and it lands in your heart. It rises up from your heart, the heart sense. And he says, with awareness, we can be grateful that every moment is a gift. We didn't earn this next moment, this next breath. We did nothing for it. Um, there may not be another one. <laughs> we don't know. Um, and in it is this gratitude, potentially, for the opportunity to do something with it. So that opportunity is the gift in every next moment or in every moment. This beingness, this aliveness, this chance again. And if we reflect on this way, every moment is that gift. Every moment is gratitude. And I think of all the American Indian ritual chant prayer where there's so much gratitude for all the elements of the earth, everything around them, animals, stars. This is this beautiful um, intention to feel the gifts of being alive. And he says, even with um, the difficult, it gives us the challenge to find something new. Although I would say, um, and there are Buddhist prayers, Tibetan Buddhist prayers about give me the difficult so I can grow in my practice. Joel and I would change it to give me the boring. <laughs> we like boring. <laughs> but we do get the difficult, right? And with the difficult, um, and this is from Brother David, he's saying we get to learn something. It's going to be patience, love, humility, strength, speaking up for ourselves, right? Learning. And we're always getting this method, this, this ability to land in gratitude for awareness in this moment. And he says, how do we do it? You learned it in kindergarten. When your mom taught you to cross the street, she said, stop, look, go. So stop, which we know from mindfulness, right? Open our senses, enjoy, savor, notice. Let the heart radiate warmth, appreciation. Um, look around you and see, savor what's around you. And go. Do it. Do something. Enjoy. Be. You know, allow. And um, so stop, let go, which we do in our practice. And he says, if we can live this way, and, and this is a practice in our society, um, what we'll generate, hopefully, and I hope for this, 
is this grateful heart is genuinely not fearful in the moment and it's not violent it's not angry and we're not living in a sense of scarcity so we're not developing this greed just mind grabbing right the scarcity isn't there there's a sense of abundance and we're more willing to share right when we love something we want to share it generally and we're more respectful of others when we're living in this way and his prayer is that the future would be more like a network of supportive groups, small groups, rather than a pyramid with all the power at the top. I hope he's right. Mm -hmm. So we'll do some quotes. And um, I was going to read you also just on the... Um, practical level, the Buddha also talked about gratitude um, for meditation, right? He would tell the monks to go to the forest, sit at the base of a tree, and reflect on the gratitude to be able to do that, that you have a practice, that there are teachers, that there's this tree supporting you. And... Um, this is a recommendation from one of the meditation teachers, Leigh Brazelton, and he writes, um, it's very helpful after you get seated in your comfortable upright position to generate some gratitude. Gratitude toward your teachers who have taught you the Dharma. Gratitude for the life circumstance that enables you to undertake this period of meditative practice. Gratitude for the millions of people who have a hand in preserving the Buddhist Dharma for two and a half thousand years. Gratitude to the Buddha for finding and showing the way. And gratitude for anything else that you are currently grateful for. This begins to settle your mind into a positive state, which is helpful for concentration. Um, also, current neuroscientist research have shown that gratitude practice begins the process of shutting down the default mode network responsible for that distracted mind. <clears throat> so I'll do some quotes on gratitude and then we'll do a gratitude practice together. Right. Pursue what catches your heart, not what catches your eye. And here's one. I would maintain that thankfulness is one of the highest forms of thought, and gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. And from Albert Einstein, there are two ways of living your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. So let's practice um, gratitude practice. And this is a modified practice <coughs> from Jack Cornfield. So closing your eyes, taking a posture, drumming up some gratitude for the holiday. And just radiating from the body, from the heart, from the belly. And for this moment, remembering the people 
animals, plants, insects, creatures of the sky and sea, air and water, fire and earth, and all those whose ceaseless efforts touch my life every day. With gratitude, I remember the care and labor of a thousand generations of elders, ancestors who came before me. I offer my gratitude for the safety and well-being of this moment and many moments of my life. I offer my gratitude for the blessings of this earth that I've been given. I offer my gratitude for this body. I offer my gratitude for community, family, friendships that I've received. I offer my gratitude for the teachers and wise teachings from generations that I've been given. I offer my gratitude for the difficult lessons that I've been given and I've learned from. And with this grateful heart, I extend this gratitude to sympathetic joy and wishing that all beings everywhere, may all beings be joyful and may their happiness increase. May you have good fortune and causes for joy. May all beings not be separated from great happiness. May all beings be peaceful and free of suffering. And on this holiday and every day, may all beings be free of suffering. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.